Jesus and um, want to welcome you today. Uh, maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're here to to cheer on a, a nephew or a niece or a grandchild or something. And uh, we want to welcome you here if that's the case for you. And uh, I want for you to know, for everybody to know, we just counted a high privilege and an honor and responsibility to be uh, discipling along with parents, to be discipling their children and pointing them towards Jesus Christ. And uh, in fact, I would ask of you today, if you have a child or a, a niece or a nephew or a grandchild that was singing today, I would ask that uh, when you commend them today for their participation, that you would take your commendation of them vertical before them. Instead of just saying, you performed well, um, just give the adoration to the Lord. Boy, I, I just sat there and I thought how marvelous it was that Jesus is looking down, seeing all of you kids together lifting high his name. Would you do that? Seriously, that's a big deal to us. And uh, we want to take vertical. It's a teaching time for your children and what worship is about. Um, but what a joy that was. Well, this is the time in our service where we uh, continue our worship by opening God's word. So please turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. It was 10 Sundays ago now that we began this series through Revelations chapter one, chapters 1 through 3. Um, this is our last Sunday in this series. Uh, next Sunday, by the way, Pastor Nate is bringing the word. You're going to want to be here. Uh, for that and grateful for him doing that first time he's going to be able to do that here we're excited about that um, but we have been in this study for 10 Sundays we're actually about the seven churches and just a lay of the land in case you're new or trying to get a hold of where we're at and the scriptures here chapter one begins with an encountering the risen glorified magnified Jesus Christ this is no uh, poor carpenter's son. This is no uh, hippie-sandaled teacher. This is Jesus Christ in full glory like he's been since the beginning of eternity. Um, he is at that reality now. And, and that's the one who is talking to these seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And these seven churches, they're located in what is modern today, modern-day Turkey, um, you can see them on the screen there. Those are the, those are the seven churches of the day. And, and the risen, glorified, magnified uh, Jesus Christ has something to say to each of the seven local churches. And I think that's so cool. It's not just, he's not just talking to his capital C church holistically in this scenario, but he's talking to seven local churches. I think each of them somewhat representing the reality of local churches throughout the ages. And uh, he's really doing two things with them. One, he's cheering them on. He's like, way to go, guys. And, and two, he's kind of coming down on them. It's like uh, time for family chat. Uh, time for a serious uh, uh, interaction here because you're missing something and I have something, I have some truth for you that I need to tell you because I love you. And he comes in on that. And how that's broken out is there were two churches who, who heard all cheering onwards. Uh, in fact, the first one was Smyrna. That was the second church that we came across. Basically, Jesus was saying, uh, hey, I know your tribulations. I know your poverty. I know the smack talk that you're receiving. And I just want to encourage you, keep persevering in me. I love you. Uh, so cool that he would do that. Then the sixth church, Philadelphia, last Sunday, he said, uh, I've set before you an open door. 
Listen, I'm giving you opportunities. Go for it, guys. Go for it, guys. I'm with you. I'm behind you. Both of those churches received just cheering on words. Then there were three churches that received a combination of cheering on words and coming down on words. Uh, the first one was Ephesus that we started in this series. It's, it's saying, you work hard for me. But then how interesting is that? You work hard for me, but then he says, but you don't love me. Uh, we know what that is. You know how you just get in the system of things, whether it's work, whether it's with a marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's whatever, and in a relationship, and you're just working hard. But, but honestly, you step back, and it's like, where's the love in this, man? Where's the love? And then there was a church of Pergamum uh, where Jesus said, you hold on to me, but in my own words, I'm kind of saying, but it's like you're dating around on me. What's the deal with this? And then the third one was Thyatira. It's uh, you work and you love and you endure, but in my own words, it's like you're sleeping around on me. Like I'm not into that. And Jesus has a talking with them. Then there's two remaining churches where they only receive coming down words. And think of that. Not one single really commendation word. And the first one was Sardis. Wow, that was a Sunday, a couple Sundays ago. And that was just basically, you think you're alive in me, but you're not. In fact, you're dead. And it's not because Jesus wanted them dead. It's because they were dead in him. And then the other one is actually today. Uh, you think you have the X factor, Laodicea. You think you got it. You think uh, you're pretty awesome. Uh, Jesus basically says, um, but I need to tell you something. You actually make me gag. I mean, what a thing to say after having children sing today <laughs> with a text like that. But that's the reality. But listen, there's hope in it. There's hope in it. Uh, so really what we're doing is we're kind of asking this question of what's up with Christ's church? What's up with Christ's people? Because Christ's people comprise Christ's local churches. And if five out of seven of them have some serious issues going on, then there's something going on here. And what is that? I think as I've gone through this now, I'm walking away from this and I'm going, what's happening with five of seven of these churches is they're self-deceived. They're, they're living in their own spiritual disorientation. Uh, and there's a tendency for that in churches to do that. Uh, they see themselves as okay. But Jesus is seeing the whole picture and he's seeing that that's not the case for them. Spiritual disorientation. Before we get into our text, I have a question for you this morning. <clears throat> this morning, are you willing... To be a person, you, not the person next to you. But are you willing to be vulnerable before the Lord? And allow him to answer the question in your life. Are you self-deceiving yourself? Are you in spiritual disorientation? We're going to come across some heavy words from Jesus. But we have to come across some heavy words in order to be able to then get on the massive words of hope. Do know this. In the heavy words, the hope's coming, okay? But some of the hardest people to read, to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ are religious people. 
People who think they're in a good place. People who think I'm just fine. People who maybe right now are thinking, hey, Doug, you're not talking to me. I am. I'm talking to all of us. Doug, don't judge me. I'm not. I just need to teach the text. And what Jesus says is he presses into us and forces us, causes us, yearns for us to ask that question. Listen, you don't want to be spiritually disoriented. We don't want to be spiritually disoriented. Let's not be that. So I just ask, soft hearts this morning, okay? Let me pray before we jump in. Lord, I pray for soft hearts. In this text, you're speaking to a group of people. You're speaking to your people. You're speaking actually to to really people who think they're your people, but they're really not. They're religious, a form of religiosity, but without the power of Christ. Lord, I just pray, would you allow us to put aside our pride? God, would you just help us right now just to be vulnerable, just us and you? And would you speak to us? And would your hope be huge? For it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 3 Uh, We start with verse 14 and what I've been calling the setting. Uh, And to the angel, to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, right? So who's he right? Who's he want this going to? What city? Laodicea. Jesus has some words for them. Jesus is saying that. That's why if you have a red letter edition of Bible, it's red. Now there's a couple things, two things about Laodicea that are very, very important to understanding uh, what this text is really hitting on. Number one, Laodicea was part of a triad of cities. There was Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. These are three cities that were all about, say, let's just say three miles apart from each other, kind of in a triangle, kind of in a triad. And why is that important? Well, it's important because of water. Uh, Colossae was known for, let's kind of think Perrier water. They were known for cold, pure spring water. They were known for that. Heropolis, in fact, even to today, the city is known for hot springs. It has naturally hot water. So Colossae is known for very cold, pure water. Uh, Heropolis is known for hot springs water, like, like hot tub water, okay? Now, where Laodicea was, it was about two miles, three miles from each of these. Laodicea was out in a plain area, kind of lifted up in a plain area. There was no river that ran through the city. They had no natural water supply. Now, Laodicea was an incredibly ingenious, entrepreneurial kind of a city, And I won't go into all the reasons why, but this just gives you one example of why. So what do they do? They have a city there with no water. That's a problem for humans. So what they end up doing in this triad is they end up building this ingenious aqueduct system for both of these two cities that brings water down a couple miles down to Laodicea. So think about that. Cold, pure water going through an aqueduct trough system a couple miles through the desert by the time it gets to Laodicea, mm, not so cold. 
hot spring water coming from Heropolis, a couple miles in this trough system, aqueduct system, coming all the way to Laodicea, um, not hot anymore, but just like room temperature. Got the picture? So what it was, was Laodicea was a city that lived on lukewarm water. It didn't pump it in and go into the refrigeration system. They were used to drinking room temperature water. Okay, got that? Tuck that away. All right, number two, Laodicea was a city with three main commercial industries. Number one was wool. They had especially an expensive wool. It was a black, just think cashmere, okay? They had a, a, it was a black soft wool and it was very unique and, and they raised this wool in their industry and sold it all over the world and were very successful with it. The, the, the second area of industry was actually, this is interesting, kind of Indianapolis pharmaceuticals. Back in the day, they had come up with an ISAV that they sold all over the world. Okay, keep that in mind. The third main industry that they had was banking. Laodicea became like the place where the banks built their skyscrapers. Okay, gold came there. They were a rich, rich people. All right, point of all this is to come. But one of the things to know about Laodicea was they were a prosperous and a money laden place. It was a rich, rich town. Now, It was also known that they were a people that lived for ease. Isn't it interesting? Prosperous people oftentimes make their God ease and comfort. And that culture had become a part of the church in Laodicea. In fact, look at verse 17, chapter 3. Jesus is speaking And Jesus is saying what the church people say. Not everybody, but what the church people there say. And in it, I'll just say, it's this. It's we're rich, we're prosperous, and we don't need anything. These are church people. We're rich, we're prosperous, and we don't need anything. That's their view. That's their attitude. That's their mindset. Look in verse 17, because Jesus has something to say about it. Hey, do you, Jesus is like, you want to know what I think about you? <laughs> you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind. And you are a naked people. Friends. Spiritual disorientation, self-deception. These are people that call themselves Christians and Jesus says, I'm sorry, but you have a complete wrong understanding because there's no relationship between you and me. Spiritual disorientation. Okay. In aviation, there's a thing that's called spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation is the kind of a thing that happens to a pilot when they're flying, and it can be you're flying in the clouds, uh, you can be flying at night, or you can be flying over the ocean. And over the ocean, actually the sky can almost become the same as the ocean, and you lose the horizon in all three of those situations. 
And what ends up happening is when you're flying like that, in that scenario, you think you're flying just fine and dandy. You feel like you're in the upright position. Now, this last week was uh, JFK's 50th uh, uh, since his murder. JFK Jr., 14 years ago, died in a plane crash. Here's what the uh, NTSB report said his plane crash was due to. Failure to maintain control of the airplane during descent over water at night, which was a result of spatial disorientation. Uh, Let me just kind of put it this way. He likely flew the plane right into the ocean. And he may not have ever known that he was doing it. Okay, I'm going to try an example so you can maybe hopefully experience this a little bit. Okay, you see the slide up on the screen? Now, uh, you're a pilot. You're flying this plane. It's a smaller plane. Let's just say this is your wing over here. So you're flying in a low-wing airplane. Isn't that what it feels like? A low-wing airplane. The wing's kind of like down here. And you are flying what? Over the clouds, right? So, you know, if you've flown on a big airplane, you've been in a situation, you fly up over the clouds and you're over and small airplanes can do the same thing. So, yeah, that's what this is, is. This is clearly, you look at this and you're in a low-wing airplane over the clouds and then the sky is kind of above the clouds, right? Right? Okay, now, um, I'm going to rotate this image and let's do it now. Now, how are you flying? Well, now you are in a high-wing airplane where the wing's over you, like a Cessna. The wing's over you. You're flying. You're under the clouds. And in fact, down here, this is like the ocean. Question, which one are you? All right, hold on to your seats. Paul, go back a slide. Now go forward a slide. Is everyone nauseated yet? Here's the question. What's real? Only one way to know. Look at your instruments. Because you literally get to a place where you feel you're just doing just right. You think you're in the right place. You think you're reading and feeling everything okay. But you need to go and you need to take a look at the instruments and see what the instruments tell you. And then you have to trust what the instruments say and act accordingly. Bless his heart, JFK Jr. Spatial disorientation and flew into disaster with his passengers. We don't want that. We don't want that spiritually, right? Right? We don't. Okay. With that image, let's keep moving along in our text. Number one, what does Jesus do to people with people, for people who are spatially disoriented. He does two things. He informs them and he invites them. He informs them and he invites them. Number one, we're going to see in the text that Jesus informs spiritually disoriented people of himself. Of who? Of himself. Verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. 
This is so cool. We've called this in the past, these attribute statements. Every one of these, Jesus gives an attribute statement about himself. He says three things about himself here. Number one, he says he is the amen. Say amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, what does that mean? Uh, What does that look like? And Jesus is like, I'm the amen. And you're like, okay, amen to that. What? What does that mean? Okay, uh, have a little fun with me here. All right, Uh, because I want us to try and experience what it means, not just tell you what it means. All right, I want for you to all respond amen after each of my statements, if it's true, okay? Sunny, warm days are wonderful, (laughs) especially on a day like today. Here's another one. God is beyond our comprehension, amazing. God's word. It's alive, it's active, and it changes lives. God has, and he is doing a work in this church. Man, what a blessing. We so enjoy just having the kids sing with us this morning. Here's another one. This baby is stunning. had to get that in (laughs) William Justice Woods you know you got to say it like this William Justice Woods that's a Braveheart name right there man that's a Braveheart name so Larry and I were thrilled this morning our wives are out with our new grandchild if you don't know uh, our daughter's married to Larry's son Uh, yes welcome to Kentucky and uh (laughs) But <laughs> I love it. Amen comes from the Hebrew word amen. Amen means truth. It carries this idea of certainty. It's firm. It's fixed. Uh, it's amen. Notice when we made those statements, it's like truth truth that's what amen means and in the scriptures it's used to affirm a truthful statement and jesus is that truth he's the amen and what that really means is he's the one that is confirmed he's the one that has made truth of all of the father's promises what god the father had said would be done guess what jesus is the amen to that He made that happen. He was a part of that. He was the exclamation point. He's the truth one. He is the amen. What a cool statement to be made in this passage. He's the amen. Secondly, he is the faithful and true witness, the text tells us. Uh, Not a faithful and true witness, like one of many. Uh, Know this, uh, we love faithful and true witnesses, but there's never been a human with skin and bones that is faithful and true like Jesus Christ is faithful and true. None like that. That's why there's a definite article before it, the faithful and true witness. This builds off of this idea of he is the amen. Everything he speaks is faithful and true. Everything he says is perfectly accurate. Everything he says is fully reliable. Thank you. That's Jesus Christ. And know this, these people needed to know this in the beginning of what he's about to say. 
third. He's, he's the beginning of God's creation. Now, this is not saying that Jesus was a created being. There are some people who say, see, see the verse, he's a created being. Uh, just say this, not that, say that. Not that. That's not what the text is saying. In English, it kind of gets a little confused. In the Greek, it's so clear on what's happening here. It's so clear to any person who was reading Greek in the day. They knew exactly what it was saying. And it was saying this, that he is the source. He is the origin of creation. In fact, just listen as I read Colossians 1 verses 15 and following. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's why watch what you say about authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is above all things and in him, all things hold together. He created it all. Jesus did that. He is the creator. He's the beginning of creation. He's the amen. He's the faithful, true witness. He's the beginning of creation. Jesus informs spiritually disoriented people. He informs all of us of who he is. I love that. He wants you to know who he is. And he doesn't mess around. He doesn't play a game. He doesn't make it hard to know who he is. He says it straight out. This is who Jesus Christ is. It's either true or it's not. He informs people of himself. Secondly, Jesus informs people of themselves. I think this is really the interesting one. He informs people about themselves. And remember this, he's the truth one. He's the faithful, true witness one. He's the one who created all things, knows all things. So if anybody knows about you, if anybody knows about this church, Jesus does. Okay? So not only does Jesus tell people about himself, but he tells him about themselves. Let's look at verse 15. I know your works. <laughs> that's knowing. I mean, that's a, a full knowing. We've talked about it. It's an absolute, complete, full knowledge of your works. You are neither hot or cold. I wish that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, let's just stop there. He knows their works. I, I absolutely, infallibly, truthfully, faithfully know exactly your works. It's not your intentions, even though he knows that. It's not all about your theological uh, ability to argue the debates. Good for you. But he's talking about, I know your works. The word is, I know your deeds. I know your actions. I know the things that you do, not just the intentions of your heart. And he informs them. He says, I'm just telling you, your works aren't cold and your works aren't hot. He's just not saying body temperature. Okay, got that? He's talking about spiritual reality. He's like, I just wish you were either cold or hot. I like wish you were totally like, shut up, Jesus. I just wish you were hard like that. I'd either wish you were either like that or I wish you were like really on fire for me. But this lukewarm thing, look at the rest of the text. I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Wow. But Doug, I thought the works don't matter. 
Well, if you're talking about getting salvation, you're exactly correct. You cannot earn your way to salvation. But I'm better than other people. Well, who cares? Who cares? It's about what Jesus thinks. It's about what Jesus understands. Does he know you? Are you written in his book or not? That's the issue on the table. But works do matter because works prove the reality of what you say you are. Isn't it irritating? I mean, we're all hypocrites at various levels. But isn't it just irritating sometimes at work when someone declares themselves a believer in your neighborhood and then they're like walking around cussing and doing just kind of stuff that you're like, please, would you just clamp your mouth shut? Why? You know it doesn't match. The actions don't fit the words in it all. And it's like, well, Doug, come on, man. Uh, What's with that? Well, Matthew 12, it says a tree is known by its fruit. If you claim to be a Christian, then there needs to be Christ fruit on your tree. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. It says, faith without works is dead. Works do not save, but works prove the reality of whether you are saved or not. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about whether it's genuine, real salvation. And your works show that. But Doug, I'm not a works guy. I'm not a works gal. Yeah, Jesus knows that. And he's concerned. Doug, I'll be the judge of my works. Well, according to this passage, no, you won't. According to this passage, Jesus is going to be the judge of your works. Certainly not me. And you need to be thinking about that. He's the judge. I just say, friends, what you do matters. What you do matters. It matters a lot. And it matters a lot because it matters a lot to Jesus Christ. He knows their works. And it's interesting. I'm talking about uh, how, what he knows. And he knows he's telling them about themselves. He knows their works. And secondly, he knows their heart. The amen one, the faithful true witness one, the source one, the origin of creation one. Basically, he's saying, and this is to the Laodicean church. He's like, you, you do not have a cold heart. You do not have a hot heart. You have a lukewarm heart. Now do you remember the water system? Hey friends, this passage, by the way, could be so taught in the kind of a way to be teaching that even Jesus proclaimed himself in cultural context so that people could understand in their day who he was. And he's telling them, he's using terminology. They totally understood what lukewarm was. They drank lukewarm every day of their life. And they knew that Colossae had cold water. Crud, I wish I could live in Colossae and have cold water once in a while. And then they knew that uh, Heropolis had hot springs water. Let's take a bath there. Um, Every day of their life, they knew lukewarm. And Jesus relates their cultural reality to spiritual reality. And he tells them that uh, you're lukewarm. Well, let me give you an illustration here. Coffee lovers. Uh, Two kinds of coffee out there. Hot coffee and cold coffee. In fact, on the cup, the fine print at the bottom, it says, this is really hot. (laughs) Something like that, okay? 
Uh, then, so I'm more of a hot coffee drinker, but some of you are the frappuccino kind of drinkers with ice cubes in it. And it's like, oh, you love that stuff. Now, you take either one of those and you go to Starbucks or wherever, and they're like, here, I got a nice lukewarm cup of coffee for you. You're like, gag. Are you kidding me? No, sometimes I'll get a Starbucks and I'll bring it to the office and I'm kind of more of a slow drinker with it and I'll take my time. And after a while, it's like, oh, microwave. And then, oh, microwave. Lukewarm coffee. Gag, right? Say gag. Gag. Hey, that sense that you have right now of gag the lukewarm That's what Jesus is saying about people who use his name as a definition of who they are. Call me a Christian and live like lukewarm? He's not interested in that. Like, what's the deal with that? And what's so sad in this passage is in this passage, he's talking about an entire people in an entire church. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and because you're neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The hope's coming. Because what he's not saying is I'm done with you, I'm over you, now it's time to send you to hell. He's helping them understand the reality of their situation. He's telling them about themselves. Out of truth and love, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Trouble, trouble, trouble. And Jesus is telling them, listen guys, I need to inform you about yourself. You are Romans 3.23. You are Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. You are totally depraved. And be out of your prosperity and out of your wealth and out of your life of ease, you don't see it at all. You make sin with a small s. And when sin is small, you need a small Jesus. And Jesus is like, excuse me, but I don't play that game. I'm not into this small Jesus game because of this. There's a big sin problem in your life. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 says no one is righteous. No, not one. Ephesians chapter 2, speaking to believers, he says, and you were dead in sins and trespasses. And the point of that is sins upon sins. Friends, if you don't see your sin condition as a big problem, I'm going to tell you this, you have no need for Jesus. But Jesus here in love and in truth is trying to help them understand. Listen, guys, this is so America. You're so rich. You're so prosperous. You so love the God of ease. But I'm telling you, you are sinners just like anybody and everybody else. And if you don't see that, there's no hope for you. You have to see your wretchedness before you can understand the Christ. I believe in God, 
Jesus died and rose again. I'm a Christian. And in the picture on the screen, you're just sitting on the couch, kicked back, and content. And Jesus is saying, dude, you're in trouble. Do that, you're in trouble. So what does he do? He invites them to himself. This is the coolest thing. Jesus tells them all this. Guys, you are just camped out on the couch, just happy with yourself, chilled back, but let me invite you to something. Verse 18, I counsel you. See that? I I want to speak to you now about an answer, a solution to this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What was one of their key industries? Banking. In that day, it wasn't dollar bills, it was gold. He's speaking in their culture. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Nothing's wrong with rich. It's rich in the right kinds of things in the right kinds of ways. And then look, and white garments so that you may clothe your... By the way, what was another industry? Wool. And it was black cashmere-like wool. And here he's saying, listen, I want to clothe you with white garments so that you may clothe yourself uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. What was the third industry? Isav. Look at this. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. How cool is this? He's like, I know, I totally know about your economy. I know about your governing system. I know about your economic structure. I know about your business structure. I know what you guys do about your careers. And and let me relate those to the reality of it. Man, these people got that, don't they? We get this. And they especially got it in their day. And he's basically saying, listen, there's something far better. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. You know, because this is the kind of time sometimes where you're like, man, this is just discouraging. Uh, Just like I'm, I'm feeling like I'm getting sent to the woodshed. I'm feeling like I'm getting a spanking from Jesus. Uh, I wouldn't want that. And yet he's saying here, listen, those whom I love, I discipline, I reprove. Basically, Jesus is telling these people, I love you even though you don't know me right now. I love you. Why? Colossians 1, because he created every one of them. I love you. So be zealous and repent. All five of the churches that received some kind of uh, coming down on, all five of them were called to repent. Repent. Change your mind. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I've told you about me. I've told you about you. Now's the call time. I'm calling you to change your mind because what you've been thinking about me and what you've been thinking about you has been wrong. You've been in spiritual disorientation. And so Jesus is like, I love you enough. I'm going to tell you the reality of it so that you can turn this thing around. Repent. See it differently. See it not the way you see it. See it the way Jesus sees it. And then respond to what Jesus says. Well, what am I supposed to do? Very familiar text. Behold. In other words, right after it, it's like, listen up. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will come into her and eat with him and he with me. It's so interesting because the text has been basically plural. He's been speaking to a church. And all of a sudden, right now in this verse, he goes individual. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What do you do when someone does that? You like either run, turn the lights off, or is this is driving me nuts already? Driving you nuts? It's like just open the door, right? And Jesus just keeps knocking. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. But here's the deal: Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. The fact that he died on the cross for the sin of the world does not mean that his forgiveness has been applied to all in the world. He's done a gift work. And we know at Christmas time, when a gift is handed out there, it's not yours until when? Until you accept it, until you receive it, until you grab it out. And it's the same thing here. It's the same kind of illustration. There they are sitting on the couch. Jesus is knocking on the door. He's been knocking someone's whole life. Like, listen, I, seriously, I want to come in. I want And here's what a lot of people in spatial disorientation are like. I have a relationship with Jesus because I'm talking to him through the door. I believe there's a God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, I be, hey, in fact, Jesus, I'm praying to you. Uh, our Father art in heaven. Uh, Jesus, would you help? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, like, how about now? That is not a relationship. And Jesus just keeps knocking, going, dude, hear something from me. You're fooling yourself. There is no relationship. That's again why Matthew 7 says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. I will say on the outside of the door as he's knocking, I never knew you. You wanted to have a relationship doing your own little gig in your own little life and periodically talking through a wall to me. I'm not into that. That's lukewarm. Either tell me to stop knocking or come over and open the door. Have you done that? And I'm even saying maybe you think you've done that, but you haven't. Maybe you think you just received Jesus Christ as a golden ticket so that you can kind of put it in your pocket and then go back, sit on the couch while Jesus is all around. Listen, are those, which one's real? fact of the matter is you don't know what you think is not what's important it's whether jesus knows you are his and too many people are leaving jesus out on the porch thinking they're in christian relationship with him and all along he's like what 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 As many as received him, 
Come on in. Come in. And then, by the way, uh, go to the basement. No. Uh, Just go to the closet. No. Come on in, and I want to live life with you and for you the way you want. That's what I want. Friends, that's hot. When we started, I asked you if you'd be willing to consider whether you're in spiritual disorientation. Are you? Are you? You don't want to be there. Let's uh, bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to take a minute here and this isn't about the person next to you. This is about you. And maybe you've been playing Christian, playing God and thinking you're all okay and fine and dandy. But maybe today you're beginning to ask yourself, maybe I actually have been the person couched out and uh, talking in relationship with the Lord through the door. And around here as we talk about, maybe you have not really driven the stake in the ground. In other words, in this situation, you haven't gone over and opened the door and said, Jesus, come in. I need you. I am a wretched, pitiful, poor, depraved sinner, and I need redeeming. And you're knocking at my door, God, and I need to receive you as my Savior. Now listen, if you may need to be doing that right now, sinner wretched depraved and I've been fooling myself and I need to receive you as my savior I've been lukewarm for too many days for too many years for too many decades and I've been playing a game through a wall with you and I am seeing it today and I've got to stop it Lord off the couch turning the handle. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And by the way, the text goes on to say to eat with him. That means to live with him, to to do life with him. I'm just going to ask with heads bowed, heads bowed and eyes closed if, if that's something you're like, you know what, I need to continue working through this thing. Or maybe this morning, that's something where you've said, you know what, for the first time, for real, I've opened the door. I'm just going to ask, would you just put your hand up so I could see? Anybody else?
Listen, I just want to encourage those of you who raise your hand. I want to encourage you today. Don't, don't keep this to yourself. Please talk to somebody. If you have questions, talk to them. If a decision's been made, talk to someone. If it's a family member, if it's a friend, if it's a spouse, if it's someone who can help you answer some questions, maybe you're in the process of trying. Listen, today's the day, my friend. Today's the day for you. The Bible says, that when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are a new creation. Now do you see why? Because your house has changed. There's a new member in your household. And it's the creator of the universe. Those of you that raise your hand, go seek someone out today. Talk with them. Let them know. This is something to glory in. Lord God, your work and your work because you speak your work because you tell us who you are your work because you tell us who we are and your work because you just don't leave it there. You provide a solution and that's you. Oh Lord, I pray for those who put their hands up this morning that you're doing a work this morning in their life. God, I just pray, would you work in them? Would you instill in them? Would they just be, uh, if they've come to know you for the first time today, oh God, may you just enlighten them, just uh, wrap your arms around them. Finally, for the first time, no more talk between the walls. It's face to face. It's in the house. It's in relationship with you. Oh, dear God, you're awesome. Amen. Amen. Amen.